Review presents the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me for this very special episode, talking about the further adventures of Indiana Jones, is our own Dr. Ange. Hello, Ange. Hey, Rob. Thanks so much for inviting me. I love Indiana Jones. He's always been a hero of mine. I've loved these issues uh, since they were on the rack, so I'm very excited to talk about them. Uh, me too. I'm very excited to have you here. And as, as usual uh, with uh, our modern society, most things uh, uh, nowadays start with a tweet. And this is kind of how this got started, is that uh, I was re-watching Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And it occurred to me that instead of whatever story they were pursuing for the fifth movie, which is scheduled to come out in 2020, they should just shoot... Uh, the first two issues of Marvel's Further Adventures of Indiana Jones uh, series from 1984, because those first two issues by John Byrne and Terry Austin are like some of, like, they, they're actually, I would say they are my second favorite Indiana Jones story ever, behind Raiders, of course. So I mentioned that on Twitter, that like, those two comics are so good. And then Dr. Ange piped up and said that there was actually some other issues of the series that were really good, including number six, which is drawn by Howard Chaikin. And I had no memory of that at all. And I was like, and because I bought the Indiana Jones comic, and I had given up on it not too long after issue number two. But obviously, I gave up on it before I got to number six, because I would have remembered an issue drawn by Howard Chaikin. So I decided, well, let me go and find some of these back issues of the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones and, and see what we had. So I bought a bunch off of eBay. So that's what we're here to talk about, is the first two issues of the series by John Byrne and Terry Olsen. And then I'm going to have a little bit of comments on some of the other ones that I bought. But before we do all that, we have to thank our sponsor, and that is, of course, In Stock Trades. This episode of FW Presents is sponsored by In Stock Trades. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Ange, what do you got? Well, given the pulpy nature of the stories that we're covering, I thought it would be very appropriate to talk about the Rocketeer Complete Collection Volume 1 hardcover. This is a 144-page hardcover that collects all of the Dave Stevens uh, Rocketeer chapters all in one beautiful new package. It's all new colored by Laura Martin, who is Dave Stevens' choice to recolor the series. And it, it normally is $29.99, but on in-stock trades, you'll save 30%, and it'll only be $20.99. And if you've ever seen Dave Stevens' art, you know it's beautiful. If you've ever seen his Rocketeer stuff, you know that it's absolutely gorgeous. I might say The Rocketeer is my favorite superhero movie of all time, wow. um, or at least in the top three. Uh, and so getting all of that Dave Stevens' art in one place is perfect. Yeah, that's a good deal. And, man, I would love to see an Indiana Jones Rocketeer team-up. I believe we haven't seen that yet. I mean, they're both in the same time period, but that's, yeah. a, that's a great pick. And uh, I just learned the other day that there's a Rocketeer cartoon coming out that's aimed at, like, wee little kids. Have you heard about this? I have. They're apparently going to have it be, like, that the Rocketeer is either 7 or 10 years old, and I've also heard it might be a girl. So it's like a whole rethinking of it. Very cool. I, I It would be great if a whole new generation fell in love with The Rocketeer, because that, that was a really great comic. I remember that. So, great pick, Ange. Um, my pick is Walt Disney Uncle Scrooge Hardcover Volume 2, The Seven Cities of Gold by Carl Barks. So, you, some of you may be wondering, why am I talking about an Uncle Scrooge comic for an Indiana Jones episode? Well, this story was an inspiration for Indiana Jones. This is something Steven Spielberg and George Lucas admitted to in interviews at the time. They both read Uncle Scrooge comics growing up, and this 
this wild adventure that Scrooge and Huey, Dewey, and Louie go on. It features like a rolling boulder and death traps and a lost city. I mean, it is basically an Indiana Jones adventure just featuring Uncle Scrooge. So uh, this is in a beautiful hardcover edition. It's 240 pages. Written and drawn by Carl Barks, of course, one of the greatest guys ever to do comics of all time. Normal price is $29.99. In-stock trades price is $20.99. That's 30% off. So you can get both of these books. And I think for like a couple bucks more, you will get free shipping. Classic Comics, Rocketeer, and Uncle Scrooge. So for these and all your other trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com. And we thank them for their support. All right, Ange. Uh, like I said, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones... Number one and number two, they were both by John Byrne and Terry Austin. Number two is scripted by Denny O'Neill. Now, did you buy this comic when it was on the stands at the time? These two issues I most definitely did. I was a huge fan of Raiders. I went to see it, I think, on my 10th birthday. I was a huge fan of Temple of Doom, although not as much as Raiders. Wanted as much as I possibly could of Indiana Jones. Saw these on the rack and bought them. Yeah, I, I was so excited. I, Raiders is all time one of my all-time favorite movies. I saw it in the theater with my dad and my sister. It's amazing. And so when Marvel put out a series... I was like, oh, this is perfect, because I love their Star Wars comic. I loved all those licensed times comics. And, of course, the first two issues being by Byrne, who was, like, in 1982, was at the top of his game. I mean, he was working on – he was coming, came off of X-Men, working on Fantastic Four. He was, like, as big a comic star as you could get. And so the idea that he was doing Indiana Jones was just amazing. You know, it was, like, super – and having Terry Austin, like, probably the, his best anchor – on this book is just super cool. So the first two issues comprise uh, just a, a self-contained story. Number one was released October 5th, 1982. The story is called The Icons of Inkamanan. I hope I said that right. Uh, and the story is, after an intro with a student earning extra credit from Professor Jones by allowing herself to participate in his whip practice, Marcus Brody informs Indy that an old student of his, Charlie Dunn, is in his office with an amazing story. Dunn and his sister Edith have discovered the location of the icons of Ikamanan, statues supposedly capable of coming to life. Before Dunn can tell Indy more, however, he gets a knife in the back thrown through Indy's office window. The assassin gets away, and soon Indy hops a plane to Krakambo, where Edith is waiting for him. Edith discovers the room she rented for Indy has been ransacked, and then they are attacked by masked assassins. After Indy falls into a pit, he finds his way out, but not before running into the imposing Solomon Black, a businessman who is also interested in the icons, if for less historical reasons. Black threatens to kill Indy unless he helps find the icons, so he stands down. The trail leads to an island riddled with death traps, like a booby-trapped beach, but Indy and Edith eventually find the icons, statues of solid gold. Did we see statues? After one of the legs breaks and a bone pops out, it becomes clear that these are not statues, but corpses covered in gold. Indy is then knocked out and awakes, tied to Edith, as they dangle over a pit of molten gold. To be continued. Uh, before we move on to issue two, like what, what do you think of this first issue, Angie? Oh, it was just, I really think, perfect. There was so much about that that's just captured everything that I loved about Raiders that I was just floored. This is why you said it should be the next movie, because so much of it um, just sort of feels like indie. 
Um, so just a few comments that I have. There's one line that he says, you know, where Marcus is like, don't you think that that's risky? And he goes, without risks, uh, there isn't much point to it at all or much fun either. And then later on when he decides he's going to go after the icons, he says, risky. I think the word you're looking for is risky, Marcus. And I can just hear that in my mind in Harrison <laughs> Ford's voice, mostly because in Raiders there's that line where he goes, whiskey, and she hands him the whiskey <laughs> bottle and he smashes on the guy's head. So I can just hear him say that. And then there's the scene that you said where he falls down the booby-trapped pit and he's sort of trying to chase Edith through these uh, narrow streets filled with people, very reminiscent of him trying to find Marion in the basket in Raiders. I think you hear that John uh, Williams theme. Yes. Uh, and then, um, I don't know what you think, but the Solomon Black character, he struck me as kind of like the Sydney Green Street of this story. Oh, he's just yeah. this enormous guy who wants this treasure for his own purposes and not because of its historical value. And so I said it just sort of plugged into everything about that time period that I think is great. If they had made this into a movie, I could see that played by like Yafet Koto or like Forrest <laughs> Whitaker, that kind of guy that I could just pick. Yeah, yeah. Of that. So, yeah, it's it's a great, great start to the story. I mean, first of all, the, that opening splash page is amazing of Indy as he's about to throw his whip at the student with the cigarette sticking out of her mouth. Like that, you know, it, it's a more innocent version of the, the stuff we saw in the movie where the girl p- puts the uh, stuff on her uh, her eyelids, the I love you bit. You know, it's a little more a little more genteel than that, but it's still kind of weird and that Indy is willing to sort of take risks. It's just great. I mean, Byrne really captured the flavor of Raiders of the Lost Ark without, like, just repeating the adventure which I really like. I mean, as much as I like Marion Raven one, and everyone knows how much I love Karen Allen, I like the fact that Marion's kind of not in this story, that this is a side, this is like a whole separate adventure, and he doesn't just repeat what you liked about Raiders. He puts Indy on a completely separate adventure, which I really liked. I thought I liked Edith, I liked her as a character, so it was like, I remember buying this off the stands and just thinking, this is just terrific! Like, this is just great, like... Is, is the book going to be like this? Because this is going to be one of the greatest comics ever done. It was just it's fan, fantastic. So uh, we have issue number two, which was released November 16th, 1982. It's called 22 Carat Doom. And I said the uh, script is by Daniel O'Neill, and then the plot is by Byrne, and then the uh, art is by Byrne and Terry Austin. The tribe on the island watches Indy and Edith get lowered into the pit, but are distracted when they hear a large boom outside. Now alone, Indy swings the chain wide enough so he can hit the nearby lever, releasing him and Edith. Edith mentions how thankful she is that her brother was killed in Indy's office, since he's the only one crafty enough to escape that death trap. Indy meets up back with Solomon Black and makes a second deal. The icons feature inscriptions talking about a second cache of statues, inscriptions only Indy can translate. He offers this service in exchange for a trip off the island for him and Edith, which Black grimly agrees to. Edith uses her feminine wiles, long hidden under her fatigues and Coke bottle glasses, to distract one of Black's men so Indy can get to the radio room and call for help. While doing so, someone takes a shot at Indy, nearly killing him. Black's men find Indy and decide he and Edith can no longer be trusted. But before they can be forced to walk the proverbial plank, a Nazi sub fires a missile at the boat, capsizing it. Indy and Edith survive by using one of the icon's crates as a floating device and are picked up by the Nazi boat. Indy mentions that since the U.S. and Germany are not officially at war yet, what they did could be considered an international crime. He'll keep shut if the Germans give him a ride back to America. They agree. On the flight home, Edith is excited about the fame and fortune that the, that the statue will bring. Indy asks to tag along, something Edith is initially against, but she eventually agrees. 
On the plane, Indy reveals that he knows that it's Edith who was the one that had her brother killed. He figured it out when she mentioned knowing where her, where her brother was killed, a detail he never mentioned. The killer in question is the pilot, who is also Edith's lover. He pulls a gun on Indy, and Edith tells him to shoot. But before he can, Indy whispers an incantation he saw in the ruins. Budsa, Canel, Day, Harg. Suddenly, the icon comes to life out of its crate and lurches for Edith and her partner. As the bullets bounce off the, the uh, now-animated dead body, Indy grabs a nearby parachute, but not before aiming the plane to crash into the ocean. And that is the end of this story. So, Ange, what do you think of the conclusion? Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> I mean, this, this whole uh, issue was just so fantastic. And I have to say that I can remember when I read this that you know, I would probably be, I hope I would be more savvy, but it turning out that Edith is behind the whole thing floored me because she's kind of played as like this sweet little innocent, you know, girl, this whole like user feminine wiles thing in the middle is sort of a, a curveball for the character that we've met. And then to find out that she's the killer, I was like, I can't believe that. It's so crazy. And then of course, this is like a pretty ruthless Indiana Jones. He says that he's figured it out. He could have called the cops, yep. <laughs> but instead he's like, no, I'm going to have us go up in a plane so I can send this avenging icon to kill you and to crash your plane into the Atlantic while I jump out with a parachute. That ending page of him pulling the cord, the chute popping out and him hearing like the screams as the plane crashes in the background <laughs> is just like just fantastic like i wish i could own that piece of art you know i mean it's just perfect the last panel we see of edith is the we see the uh, the arms of the icon statue stretching into the frame as it's about to grab her and it's a very like dawn of the dead moment because you know that that icon is probably going to like rip the two of them apart you know, before the plane even goes down. And it's really, it's really a brutal ending. And in fact, on the letters page in a later issue, somebody writes in and says, boy, Indy's a little ruthless here, don't you think? But that's, that's the thing I love about Raiders and the reason why I think all the other movies have just been, to me, as much as I like some of the other movies, Last Crusade specifically, why I think none of the movies have come even close to matching Raiders is that Raiders has just the right edge to it that, it, it doesn't, the movie's not too jokey, but it's not too dark, but it, it has enough of a dark edge that really kind of, to me, keeps it from being too friendly, kind of family friendly. And that's, that's what this ending has. It has that darkness to it that I really like because Edith turns murderer when she realizes the jig is up. She gets just super angry really fast. And of course, she, she, she arranged to have her brother killed, so we know that this is all an act. But I mean, I love that, I think that ending is just beautiful. And I let Byrne and Denny O'Neill, again, who, worked on the second issue really managed to capture indian you mentioned in, in about the first issue that you could picture harrison ford doing the story and that is i agree with that totally that's to me why this works so well in fact there's a there's a sequence where um solomon after indy gets shot at which we find out edith was the one that tried to shoot him and because she didn't have her glasses on she couldn't sit the broad, she couldn't hit the broad side of a barn where Solomon Black gets the drop on Indy again, and there's this wonderful panel where Indy has his hand over his face, and he's just looking kind of forlorn, and you totally can picture Harrison Ford doing that moment. Like, to me, like, I absolutely would love to see Harrison Ford playing this as Indiana Jones. I mean, the, to me, this story is... Byrne just completely nailed it, and I, like I said, I think this is the second-best Indiana Jones adventure ever done. Now, I admit, I haven't seen all the episodes of the TV series. I haven't read any of the books. But for the ones I have seen, to me, this is second only to Raiders and how effective an adventure this is. And I love that it's a mystery, too. 
that it's a murder mystery. He finds a way to work that yeah. in. Even with all this other stuff that goes on, he finds a way to make it a murder mystery. It's a burn just really nailed it. So I remember at the time thinking that this is what this book is going to be. Like, how Byrne even had time to do another whole series, I didn't know. So then I bought issue three of Indiana Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, and Byrne's gone. I was like, what happened? We were happy to Byrne. And, I mean, at the time, I was a huge fan of John Byrne. I mean, again, 1982, he was at the, the you know, peak of his powers. And I was being, I was really disappointed. And I kept going with the book, I think, for two ish, two more issues. And when I realized that he was not coming back, I gave up on it because I just didn't like whatever qualities the issues, the subsequent issues had, they couldn't match what Byrne and Austin had done. So I quickly moved on to the book and I basically never went back to it. And then it wasn't until you tweeted about that there was this, at least this one really great issue, number six, by, drawn by Howard Chaikin, that I bought some back issues. I went to eBay and I just bought a lot of them. And so I just want to give a couple of brief summaries of the ones I bought. First of all, I bought issue number four, which was Gateway to Infinity by David Michelini, who became the regular writer. Ron Friends and Danny Bulandi. And in this one, Indy teams up with a beautiful professor to stop the Nazis from using a mysterious cylinder found at Stonehenge. Issue number six, the one we mentioned, Club Nightmare by Michelini, Howard Chaikin, and Terry Austin. Indy reconnects with Marion Ravenwood for the opening of a dinner club that she has purchased, which Indy is a silent partner of. Issue 7, Africa Screams by Michelini, Carrie Gamble, and Samuel De La Rosa. Indy and Marion on the Trail of Atlantis. Issues 9 and 10, The Gold Goddess, Parts 1 and 2 by Michelini, Archie Goodwin, Dan Reed, and Danny Bulandi. Indy runs afoul of the Havito tribe in search of a fertility totem. He also meets Ilsa Tote, sister of you-know-who. And issue 12, The Fourth Nail by Michelini, Gamble, Luke McDonald, and Mel Candido. Indy searches for the fourth nail of the cross. Uh, of the ones I bought, you picked it right. Number six is by far the best one. First of all, it's drawn by Howard Shake, and it was great. But it really kind of does capture that flavor. And it was great to see Marion Ravenwood back in the book. So did you – you had these uh, as well uh, when they came out? You know, for some reason, I think I stopped at six, even though six was great. Because mm. I can remember reading three. And then I think like you, it's like nothing quite captured, as you say, the magic of Raiders as these first two of a mix of sort of like fun and rollicking adventure and violence and kind of strangeness. Um, so I can't believe that there's an issue with the Hovito tribe because, you yep. know, you could yep. warn them if only you spoke <laughs> Hovitos, right? So so now I feel like I have to go on eBay and sort of buy these things. I, I will say that I was kind of disappointed with a lot of Not because David Michelinie's a, a bad writer. In fact, he's a great writer and he wrote some great Aquaman stories. But um, I, they're, I think they're almost trying a little too hard. Burns seemed to just sort of naturally find a groove right from the first issue. And, and in fact, I did some research as to why he left the book because I never real, I never learned why. And uh, there was an article in Tomorrow's Back Issue about it way years ago where they interviewed Byrne. And uh, apparently the rep from Lucasfilm that he had to work with on this book was so difficult to work with and like demanded changes at the last minute that Byrne just bailed after the second issue. And there's a quote from him where he says, Indiana Jones was one of the most unpleasant experiences in my career. And you can quote me. So, yeah. So basically the Lucasfilm rep drove him off the book, which is just such a damn shame because um, there is some nice artwork in, in these in these subsequent issues. I met, of course, Howard Chaikin and Kerry Gamble became a regular artist at one point. And Kerry Gamble, I think is one of the great underrated comic book artists of all time. He has a really solid style, but he's not on it consistently. 
And um, mm. a bunch of issues I mentioned are inked by Denny, Denny Belandi, who was never one of my favorites to me. He's a very heavy inker. So they're, they're not – none of the issues are bad. They're just kind of eh. And like Marion's in a lot of them, which is cool, but they don't know what to do with her. And at one point they kind of turn her into a reporter where she's like, I'm going to do an article for the New York Times on this. And you're like, well, now she's Lois Lane. You know, yeah, like what, yeah. what's going on here? So they just – I don't think – Micheline or any of the other ones quite found the rhythm that Byrne had, and, and that's unfortunate because I said I can only imagine what this series could have achieved if Byrne had stayed on it because, I mean, it might have been one of the great runs of all time. I mean, he did fantastic work on X-Men and Fantastic Four and Superman. And uh, so Further Adventures of Indiana Jones never became a big hit, um, and it was canceled as of number 34. Uh, you know, Unlike, say, Star Wars, which ran for over 100 issues, and like, mm. ROM, which ran for a lot... So they never, never really totally work. And, of course, Dark Horse had a much greater success with the Indiana Jones uh, comic book series than, than Marvel ever did. But it doesn't matter. Those first two issues still stand as, to me, some of the best work Burns ever done, which is saying something, and certainly a great Indiana Jones adventure. And they've been collected. There's various Indiana Jones comic book collections. Uh, none of them are in stock trades at the time, but you, they are out there. So you can go get those because, again, these first two issues are great. Or you can just buy them cheap on ebay i saw the first two issues for like a couple of bucks each and they're just they're just so much fun so they are really really great and so and i wasn't joking about that i don't think they should bother writing some sort of like finale to indiana jones for the fifth film just do this adventure just make it an indiana jones adventure i, I mean of course harrison ford's a little too old to be doing this story at this point but like I, w- I really would love to see this story committed to film. I think it would work great. Yeah, you know, I think um, it's like you say, I think Temple of Doom goes too far towards the dark. Yeah. And I think Last Crusade is a little bit too cutesy in places. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's walking that tightrope. Yep. And I think this this does it perfectly. So I would love to see this. And I mean, as you say, you know, you, you talked about that panel where he's got his hand over his face there's one a few pages earlier that i love that they've just routed these natives and are going to take the icons and he has this great line where he says um another triumph for decency culture civilization and automatic weapons as he's holding the gun (laughs) next to his head right so it's like he knows you know so it's a jokey line in the midst of this sort of violence that that like you, I I agree. This is like one of the best, probably the second best, because you know no movie after Raiders kind of lives up to everything we want it to be. No, I mean they said what started all this was that I did a rewatch of Crystal Skull, and I've only seen Crystal Skull once in the theater, and I remember thinking it wasn't very good. I didn't hate it the way a lot of people seem to hate it, but I rewatched it, and I was really shocked at kind of how lifeless it is. And it's not. I don't. I hate to say this, but I almost feel like you really can't blame anybody else but Spielberg. It's just, to me, it's just, it's, it just sits there. The movie just sits there and there isn't any, I don't have any problem with any of it. I don't even have a problem with Shia LaBeouf, although, you know, I don't know. I don't think we needed to have an Indiana Jones' son character, but that's neither here nor there. But even he's not that bad. It's just, the scenes just kind of just plot along and I don't know. I'm, look, I'm going to go see the fifth film no matter what because I love Indiana Jones and I will see any Indiana Jones movie they decide to make. But I'm not heartened by the news that, like, the screenwriter for it is David Kep, who wrote King Crystal Skull, and Ugh. is, like, he, I don't know, like, look, I don't want to be, like, oh, only younger people can do a better job or whatever, but, like, I, it feels like 
really, Spielberg? What, did you just walk out of your bungalow and the first guy you found was the guy you're giving the script to? Like, I get somebody kind of young and hungry who really could write a cracking Indiana Jones adventure. David Kep, he wrote The Lost World, you know, and he wrote, yeah. you know, it's just like he wrote The Mummy last summer's The Mummy, you know? Oh. Yeah, I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I just, you, I just think you're going to get a really tired adventure, and I don't want to see Indiana Jones go out on that. I love the character too much. We all know this is going to be the last one. It certainly seems that Indiana, that, um, Indiana Jones. It certainly seems that Harrison Ford is doing, you know, a trip around the horn of all of his most famous characters one last time. So this is going to be it, and I don't, I don't want to like really dislike this fifth film. But so I'm a little concerned that that's what's going to happen because uh, before, but. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go see it anyway. I mean, I'm assuming you're kind of this, you're in the same boat that you're going to go regardless. I think I'm going to go regardless, but yeah. I think that, you know, I think I'm going to be shaking my head the whole time I'm walking to my seat. And I'm going to be shaking my head the whole time I'm walking out of the theater because I just know I'm probably going to be let down. But it's as you say, you just hope that it'll recapture some of the magic that was there in that first movie. And so you're sort of obligated and I want to support this character because I love him so much. Yeah, I do love Yeah. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't mind if they didn't do a finale, like, you know, let's send in the off, like just do an adventure, just do a, you know, I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to have to address the fact that he's really old now, but I mean, but, but I don't want to see him die at the end or, or officially retire. It might be fun just to just, you know what? The best way to celebrate this character is just to give him a really good movie. That's it. Just have him on an adventure and that's it. And and that'll be fine. Now, of course, uh, you know, Harrison Ford did do one other adventure that he, that he did do as Indiana Jones is, that is not remarked upon very much. And we wanted to mention this for this episode is he cameoed as middle-aged Indiana Jones, on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, he did that one episode where he appears at the beginning and at the end, and he's got that salt and pepper beard, and he's still able to kick ass. And that's you can find those clips on YouTube. And I remembered, I kind of gave much like the, the the comic book. I gave up on the Young Indiana Jones show a couple episodes in, where I was like, "Oh my god, this is so boring. I can't stand watching." <laughs> but I checked back in for that episode because it was like it's Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones again. I'm sure you watched it too. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, there's a little uh, anecdote that I have about it. So he actually, um, every time there was a commercial break at the be- when the show came back on, there would be like 30 seconds of, of Harrison Ford kind of leading into the, the next scene. And the night that it aired, I was like, I can't believe this. It's Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones again. I'm going to watch this. It's going to be fantastic. I put a tape in my VCR. Yes, that's how old I am because I was going to tape this and have it in perpetuity. And it was the night of a snowstorm up here in New England. And of course, you know, New Englanders love their snowstorms and they love their weathermen to tell them how many inches they're going to get. And so after every commercial break, they would have three minutes of the weatherman saying it's probably five to seven inches in the Providence area and people should be careful. And then by the time they got back to the, and now we return to the regular scheduled program, the Harrison Ford part's already over. Oh, no. So, so I called the local channel and said, for God's sakes, people are watching this for Harrison Ford. Do the dumb weather before the commercials because we all know we're going to get five to seven inches in the Providence area. I don't care anymore. And <laughs> I called them three times. And finally, on the third time, I was like, why are you doing this? They said, stop calling us. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, so. little did they know you would become a renowned physician and they would remember yeah. that. <laughs> but you were just an annoying kid back then. That's fantastic. That's great. I said that, that had to be, you know, back in the days when, you know, it was you didn't know it would be appear on VHS or DVD or something. You just thought it would air and you'd never get to see it again. That was the whole thing. This is my last chance. And, yeah. you know, to hear the same weather report every 20 minutes. I've heard this before. So... <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. It was great that they got Harrison Ford to to do it one to do, you know make that little cameo in there. I mean, he clearly more than Han Solo, and probably even Rick Deckard, I guess, uh, of, of his recurring characters. Oh, they get Jack Ryan too. Um, it's it's clear that Harrison Ford loves Indiana Jones the most. I mean, I think he's even been quoted as saying that he would do an Indiana Jones movie any time. Uh, it's just a matter of getting it together. So he clearly loves playing this character. Uh, I mean, we, we already know what's going to be your favorite, but if you had to rate the Indiana Jones movies in order, like they do on Star Wars Minute, they always ask the, the, the people on, like to right now there's a lot more movies to rate, obviously, the Star Wars movies. But if you rated the four Indiana Jones movies so far, how would you? what order would you put them in from best to worst? So Raiders 1, obviously, yes. uh, Last Crusade 2, Temple of Doom 3, uh, and then Crystal Skulls 8. Ooh, oh, no. <laughs> you, you hated it that much? Uh, you know, I just, um, yeah, I didn't really like it. I got to say, yeah. Um, I, when I when I watched it, I just was really like, boy, I don't, I, I didn't mind the aliens. It didn't bother me that much because, like, well, Indiana Jones has always had this crazy stuff in it. I don't think it quite fits as well as some of the the other threats. But yeah, it just, I don't know. It just when when Spielberg Spielberg is such a talented director. So, I mean, obviously, one of the greatest guys ever to do it. Like, when he's in kind of a low-gear mode, it's really noticeable. I think because he's so talented. It's almost like a, like a, a middle-grade uh, Hitchcock movie. You know, like it's just like, man, this guy is so talented. And when he's not at all burning on all thrusters, it's more noticeable than some others. And though this movie just sort of, you're like, okay, we just move on from one scene to the next and, and whatever. And, you know, even in, even has Kate Blanchett in it. And even she can't really liven it up. And so... <laughs> Again, I don't know if that's so much the story, which Lucas insisted upon, or the screenplay by Cap, or Spielberg, or a combination of all the things. But, like I said, I will still go see it. I remember distinctly when they released, like, the teaser image of of Harrison Ford sitting in, like, a director's chair in the indie costume again. And I don't get that excited that much about movie stuff anymore, because I've just kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, ah. The, the, the world is ours now. Everything, any, any nerd could possibly want in a movie we can get. So there's nothing to get too excited about. But I still remember being like, oh, man, it's Indiana Jones again. And I'm sure I'll feel that again, even though I'll be kind of weary about, you know, leery going into the fifth one. But, yeah, I would actually, I would put them in the same order. It'd be Raiders way ahead, then Last Crusade, then Temple of Doom, which is, again, a movie I just, every time I watch it, I feel like I like it less. And Crystal Skull, because Crystal Skull just to me is just like, I just want it to be so much better. I almost feel like it gets a nod over Temple of Doomsday because it has Marion Ravenwood in it. Because mm. it's got the, the, my wonderful crush, Karen Allen, playing Marion Ravenwood one last time. So, you know, but yeah, hopefully they'll go out on a little bit uh, better note on this fifth one. But anyway, back to the, the comic. Uh, like I said, these, these two issues are, like I said, just phenomenal. And I, it's, it is such a shame that Byrne and Austin could not get a chance to continue because Lord knows what they would have come up with. I don't know. I always thought Byrne was a, was a great writer, a great, a great comic book writer. His Fantastic Four stuff was great. His Superman stuff was great. But he managed to really nail the tone, that Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of tone, without 
directly referencing any of the events. In fact, later issues, Indy will mention, oh, the Ark of the Covenant, or this or that. And like I mentioned, he even runs into the sister of Tote at one point. <laughs> and one of the letter writers in, in the, in the uh, letters column, Readers of the Lost Ark, which was the, uh, the name of the letters page, even says, hey, guys, you can lay off all the Raiders references. It doesn't need to be the central focus of Indy's life, which I thought was accurate. And so Byrne doesn't do any of that stuff. He just other than, than Marcus Brody, we don't see anybody else from the movie, which there's no Sala or anything like that, or you know, anybody else. So he really got it great. And I, I've always been like a champion of those two issues because they feel like they for so long went unremarked. Like nobody ever knew about them, nobody ever talked about them, that they were part of John Byrne's career. Yeah. You know, he does make one reference to Raiders in it when uh, Indy wakes up uh, over the gold, molten gold. He like they say, like as he wakes up, he says, "Don't look, Marion, don't look," because he thinks he's sort of. And for me, I actually oh, that's didn't right, mind that's that. right, that's right. He does, yeah. That's right. And and for me, I actually didn't mind that one line because it at least put it temporally after Raiders. Because right. you could have plugged this right in before. And I'm trying to sort of get a lay of the land where we are. You know, Temple of Doom takes place before Raiders, and um, I give it a little bit of a buy for that because I think of it, it's like a young Indiana Jones, right? He's willing to trade the ashes of some emperor for a diamond, right? That Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like somebody that says that belongs in a museum. Mm -hmm. And so I give that movie a little bit of a pass because I'm like, oh, he's brash and immature. And this way, this Indian, this, these issues sounds much more like the one in Raiders, as we've said all along. So that one line, just enough to let me say, okay, this is after those events. But it, but as you say, it's not as if he is soaked it in or is copied. Yeah, it's like, oh, Belloc is alive again, or anything like that, you know? Yeah. Like, Belloc's not the Joker, he can't keep coming back, or whatever. Yeah, I think it's, they're really, really solid adventures, off to a great start, and like I said, it's just a darn shame that the, the books never got, the, the burn never got a chance to continue with this series. So, uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. This was just something that I, I always wanted to kind of talk about, and I didn't know anyone else that had read these two issues. And then when I mentioned them on Twitter and then Andrew piped up, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And so I did have fun reading the other issues. I would actually want to track down more of them just for sort of completest sake to kind of see what else along. Because there is some good stuff in there. I don't, I don't mean to run them down. They were fun in their own way. They can't measure up to what Byrne did. But there is some, some good stuff to be found. And like I said, and, and, uh, as you said, issue number six by Chaikin is really a lot of fun. It's great to see Marion Ravenwood kind of on her own thing. So uh, it's really cool. I would It would have been interesting to see – if well, Marvel wasn't doing a black and white line anymore by the mid '80s. They only had Savage Sword of Conan, but I could see like Indiana Jones as like a black and white magazine. Like that could have worked. I think that yeah. would have been interesting because in the letters page, actually, somebody mentions around issue three or four, "Hey, could Indy meet any of the Marvel forty superheroes?" And I was like, "Oh my God, no! Don't do that." <laughs> you, you know, I think that. Um... I sort of think about a character like John Constantine, where I bet, like, if you asked every comic book writer, everybody has their one John Constantine story that they'd like to write. Mm -hmm. You could probably pull this off as an anthology where you just say, hey, great, you know, creative teams that do a three issue story. Mm, Right. And, uh, and, you know, and put it in a black and white magazine size. I mean, that would be great, you know. because I do wonder that, you know, it's hard to keep going to the well. Like, if you're David Michelini and you're writing 30 of these, you know, that's probably hard. So, um, but everybody probably has one story in their back pocket. 
That's a great idea. I really, I never really thought of it that way, but you're right. Yeah, I do think that. I think that, that after I read a bunch of them, you're like, oh, Indy's now going after Atlantis, and now Indy's going. It's like there's so there's only so many times you could have a bunch of government people saying, hey, Doctor Jones, we need you to find this. But yeah, that would have been like imagine the the stars of the '80s doing Indiana Jones one-offs, Walt Simon, yeah. Walt Simonson, and Frank Miller. Like, something done by, like, Claus Jansen or Brian Bolland. Like, that would have been, oh, my God, that would have been a killer magazine. No, that's it. Sign me up now. Yeah, so. really, we got to do that. we got to a kickstart of that or something. So, anyway, uh, like I said, pick up Further Adventures of Indiana Jones numbers 1 and 2, either as back issues or get them in a collection. They are absolutely worth your time. They are great, great comics. So, Ange, uh, thank you so much for doing this, man. I always enjoy podcasting with you, and I was so thrilled to get a chance to, to reread these and, and talk about them. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me. As Bellick said to Indiana Jones, it would take but a nudge for me to push you, Rob, out of the light into the more impure faith of my comic love. <laughs> now you're getting nasty. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me at a Supergirl-specific uh, blog called Comic Box Commentary, and I'm also one of the Legion of Super bloggers. But on a day-to-day basis or minute-to-minute basis, you can find me on Twitter at, at DrAnge70. All right, and of course, all the back episodes of FW Presents, which have been hosted by all of us at one time or another, can be found on the network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com, and uh, our main network Twitter feed is FW Podcast. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will see you later. Bye. Izzy, over here. Indiana Jones at your service, Toad. Ah! (laughs) Indiana Jones and other action figures new from Raiders of the Lost Ark Collection, each sold separately. Watch him, Cairo, swordsman. Yeah, watch my swing. Yikes! All downhill from here, swordsman. You'll be sorry, Jones. Tricky again, Toad. Indiana Jones, Toad, and Cairo swordsman action figures each sold separately from Raiders of the Lost Ark Collection, new from Kenner.